hey, you know what I believe? I believe every single person can make a difference and that we all have something amazing to offer the world. I believe in standing up for what matters and in putting one foot in front of the other. I believe courage is way more important than confidence and I'm addicted to seeing people break through what they once thought they couldn't. And that's why I started this podcast. I want you to believe in yourself. I want you to know that anything's possible. I want you to find the courage to stand up and do your thing. Everything's waiting for you. You just have to believe it's possible. I'm Karen Vaughan. This is the Get Off The Bench podcast. And here is where your courageous life starts. Hey guys, and welcome to another week of the Get Off The Bench podcast. I have got a little bit of a cold. Um, It's my own fault. I've been burning the candle at both ends. And if I'm going to give you any advice, don't do it. Make sure you go to bed early and get a good night's sleep because now I'm suffering. But the good news is I did pre-record my interview today. So you're not going to have to put up with me snuffling all the way through the interview. Now, today's guest is Hacia Atherton. She is amazing. Now, I've, I've often said, don't wait for adversity. Get out there and do your thing before anything happens because we don't know what's around the corner. Hacia um, didn't wait for adversity. She had a lot of things going on anyway, but she did have to face adversity. And what she did as a result of changing her mindset is absolutely phenomenal. So rather than me keep talking with this stuffy nose, I'm just going to introduce her and then we'll get into the interview. So here we go. Hacia Atherton is a speaker, company director, certified practicing accountant, ambassador, industry thought leader and philanthropist. In 2017, Hacia was crushed by her 600 kilogram warm blood horse and doctors told her she would never likely walk again in any meaningful way. Devastated by her new reality, Hacia fell into a deep depression. However, her fighting spirit revived itself as she faced her toughest challenge yet, to stand unaided for the first time since her accident. Hacia was only able to stand without assistance for three seconds. She cried in agony, defeat and frustration at the helplessness of her situation. It was at this point mentally and emotionally that Hacia realised she had a choice to let her tragic circumstances dictate the remainder of her life or to face the seemingly impossible goal of walking again with courage, positivity and spirit. Three years and 13 operations later, Hacia has defied the odds, not only learning to walk again, but also completing two 100-kilometre bike rides and achieving her CPA from a hospital bed, successfully turning a major life trauma into a triumph. Hacia's adaptability and resilience and her ability to redefine her own version of success is a story she now shares to inspire audiences across Australia. Hacia is also the founder of not-for-profit Empowering Women in Trade with a mission to radically increase female representation in skilled trades in Australia and to create a more equitable, balanced workforce that values and prioritises the participation of skilled female tradespeople. Empowering Women in Trade also aims to support women who are in vulnerable situations. Hacia's courage, adaptability and resilience has been recognised by numerous organisations. She has been invited to join the CPA Emerging Leaders Network Committee, is a Just Strong ambassador 
and has been accepted into the pilot women and leadership program run by the city of Darabin. Wow. Welcome, Hacia. Thank you so much for having me. Very excited to be here. <laughs> it's my absolute pleasure. You're an, you're an absolute rock star. You really are. I know you don't think so, but you are. <laughs> uh, I think I think that's something I'm definitely addressing, the imposter syndrome. I think a lot of people struggle with that and it helps having incredible people like yourself around in my tribe, letting me know that when I'm doubting myself that, no, I'm actually being too hard on myself. Yeah, well, I value you being in my tribe too, I can tell you. You're, you're a ripper. But it is, it is true, isn't it, that we... we um, uh, particularly women are very bad at, um, you know, coming down on ourselves all the time. And yeah, we need yeah. to get over that. Yeah, we definitely, the inner critic is very, very strong, as you said, particularly in women. Men also yeah. have it as well. I think women are actually becoming a lot better at expressing it and saying, hey, I am being too hard on myself and seeking tools to help overcome that. I think men are still locking that away. They're quite scared to be vulnerable and it's quite powerful to be vulnerable and say, look, yeah, I'm really beating myself up here. I don't think I'm good enough or mm. it was a fluke or it was luck or all these other things. Women are often not very good at owning our wins. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I did a talk on imposter syndrome a couple of years ago, and that was one of those things is that, you know, women often say, oh, I was just lucky, you know, just, uh, you know, and, and um, yeah, we should own it. And I don't think that um, tall poppy syndrome's got a lot to answer for that. You know, we're a bit too, sometimes we're a bit too scared, you know, what if I look like a wanker, you know, standing up, but, but we, we absolutely need to stand in our power. We need to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you can do it without being arrogant. You can yeah. do it with actually empowering other people. Yeah. It's just how you position it, how you word it, how you come across. You know, some people do yeah. stand in their power too strong and yep. become very overbearing and, and that's where that arrogance comes. Mm. But if you just do it in a really nice way, connect with your authentic self and you stand in your power to empower other people, it's actually a very, very amazing thing that gets really contagious and you see other people wanting to stand up as well yeah I agree and I'll tell you those two simple words thank you they're pretty easy aren't they yes yeah, yeah. gee you're doing yeah. well thank you yeah, it's a, yeah. <laughs> that's terrific and it's something we have to learn because I have to learn often to say that thank you instead of the excuse or oh no I didn't really do anything or yeah. the the put downs when someone gives you a compliment we so often go and put ourselves down off the back yeah. of people's compliments and it's something I'm really working on coming back and just saying thank you yeah it's so simple isn't it really yeah, yeah, it's it's amazing. Well, you know, I, I was talking about power and strength and courage, resilience. You know, I mean, we haven't said those words exactly, but that's what we're inferring here. And uh, you, uh, <laughs> you, you're and you're amazing. You know, when I first met you, like, and this is the good thing. This is the thing I think I really love about you is that you you just come forward into meetings or into conversations with just you and, and you exactly as you are you don't come in as oh you know poor me I've had to do this and I've always, always got a sore back and you know you, you just straight up yeah well listen it's a good day and I'm happy to be here I'm lucky to be alive you know and everything else and I really admire that about you and I think that um 
you know, we mentioned in the start about you uh, being crushed by your horse, you know, and I, I don't think that people, you know, I don't think people really get what that means. You know, people see horses in paddocks, you know, so, and they look like big animals, but it's not until you really actually handle a horse that you, you see this, the size of the muscles in their rumps, in their thigh, you know, like they and their chest, like even big, great big quarter horses, you know, they're way more yeah. bloods, which is what you've got. I, I think it was warm blood. Yeah, yeah it was warm they're, blood. They're big in the chest and it's not until you're actually under them and feeling them that you realise that this is half a tonne of animal, you know, and... I don't think um, most of us will know, we're, can, can, can even appreciate what that weight is like, but you had it in your lap. Um, yeah, my pelvis definitely appreciated what that weight was. <laughs> yeah, it's not really like a two-year-old in your lap, is it? Or a puppy dog? <laughs> no, I don't recommend it. But yes, yeah, she did come landing down. So I was riding her training for an upcoming, upcoming competition and she was a young little feisty thing, which is part of what I loved about her. She was this beautiful black horse with this little white dot on her head, like an artist who got a paintbrush and slopped it on her <laughs> head. And she was fiery. She was passionate. She had a lot of Zaza Zoo and a lot of potential to be a very good dressage horse. But sometimes when that fiery Zaza Zoo turns into a little tantrum because she was a young horse, so she decided to have a little bit of tantrum and didn't want to train anymore. So she reared up vertically, her head came into my face and knocked my, knocked my face really hard. So I got a bit disorientated and actually slipped off and fell off her. And because she was up vertical and my weight coming off her back, she started to stumble, lost her balance, her back legs gave way and she just came crashing down into my lap. And then I kind of pushed her so she didn't come over onto my onto my body and she rolled off onto the right side, which did so much damage to the right hip and the pelvis and crushed the pelvic bone and did a lot of nerve damage to the right leg. And it's incredible our human instincts and how we can just tap into our courage momentarily. So I managed to flip myself over onto my tummy an army crawl out of the way about a couple of meters because I knew if I didn't when she stood up she would have trampled me as well mm. and that would have been a lot worse so with the, all the adrenaline I managed to drag myself through the sand and then just collapse a few meters away and my body just got flooded with the most excruciating pain yeah. no words could describe the pain oh did you know you were in did you realize how much trouble you were in in that moment Yes, I thought I was in more trouble than I actually ended up being. Um, I couldn't feel or move either of my legs. So mm. I thought I'd broken my spine. Yeah. Um, and I thought, yeah, life as I know it is over, which I was correct. But I, I was thinking of this life of being, you know, never being able to walk again mm. and all that kind of stuff. So it was a very scary moment. Oh, isn't it um, amazing? And I used to teach disability and I used to say to people, <clears throat> you know, when you're working with people with disabilities, you treat them right because in an instant, in an instant, you can be on the other end of that, you, you know, and I don't think people, and I do a lot of work with people with brain injuries and I don't think that uh, enough of us, you know, realise how lucky we are every second of the day that we are uh, uh, walking around 
well, I'll call it a normal life. That's not really a great term, to, but you know, just in a lucky, lucky state of state of being, because in an instant everything can change. And it definitely, yeah, it can, and it's changed my perspective. And people often say, "Would you change the accident or change what you've gone through?" And I wouldn't. I wouldn't trade it for anything because I actually feel so blessed now that I can have these moments of absolute utopia, just walking my dogs in the park with the sun and mm. just feel so grateful and so present for that moment. Usually before the accident, I had to be you know, traveling overseas or going, seeing a theater play or have something really zaza zoo in my life to get that adrenaline rush or that feeling of wow isn't life incredible but now I can get that just standing in the park with two little dogs and the sun (laughs) on my face I find such deep peace and contentment and that's what I really try and uh, get across to other people to find that moment in life without having to go through the trauma that I've mm. had to go through, but still just connect with just the, the simple beauty that is around us all day, every day. But I think it's a shame we we generally can't find that without adversity. In that same yeah. talk that I was talking about, I talked about don't wait for adversity. Don't wait for things to go wrong because... Yeah. There are so many stories like yours, you, you know, it's like, oh, I was living this life and I was taking things for granted and then yeah. this happened and, and now I feel so blessed. If only we could feel so blessed, you know, and just really appreciate what we've got. And I'm guilty of it. You know, I, we all bitch and bitch and moan about stuff, you know, we all do. And then that it's not until we really look at someone else and think, oh, you know, I'm, I'm actually quite lucky. I need to stop that when you're out walking your dogs in the park do you ever pause and have that moment that's like oh my god imagine if I was here in a wheelchair imagine how hard it would be to bring my well I don't even have to stop and imagine those moments because I've been in a wheelchair in and out of my um, life since the accident quite a lot so I was in the wheelchair pretty solidly for the first year and then I've had 13 procedures and operations since and some of them has put me back and forth into the wheelchair and that's a big thing that we've really focused on my partner and I and my friends and family that I kept living my life not just surviving my life so on weekends they would load me up in the car load the dogs (laughs) up take me to the park push me around in the wheelchair up and down the hills and I'd have the dogs on the lead and all those kind of things. So I can actually imagine that because I've, I've, I've felt that. I've been yeah. there and I've done that. And there was a while that the doctors weren't even sure if I would be able to walk in a meaningful way without walking aids, maybe shuffle around the house a little bit, but definitely not take the dogs for a walk without either a walker or a wheelchair or things like that. So for a long time, I was mentally preparing that that's how I was going to take the dogs for a walk in a wheelchair. Wow. And not that that's a, the end of your life either, because there's a lot of people in wheelchairs that happily take dogs for walks and they do it so well, do you know? And, and it is about attitude. It really is. But yeah, exactly. Wow. And I think that's exactly right. You know, whether I'm in the park in my wheelchair, on crutches, on my walker or on my abled feet, which I've had all that variety and range. <laughs> yeah. I've always just been so grateful to be there, to be there with the dogs, be there in the sunshine, be there in the park. I remember a few days after the accident, actually, my partner and the medical team transferred me onto this special portable bed. And because I was so fragile, they needed a whole 
special team to transfer me over. They strapped me down into this bed with all these seat belts and everything. Mm. And my gorgeous partner, he like navigated the hospital um, corridors and everything and took me outside. And just to be outside and feel the sun in my face, that winter sun, the peace that I found in my heart that was breaking from the grief of knowing I won't ride again, the grief of what's my life, once a very active life, what's it going to look like, the pain, everything. Just being in that sunshine, I had just such peace. And I think mm. that's so important to hold on to. Even when I'm strapped into a hospital bed, you can still have that moment of peace. Yeah. I think that's, I think we underestimate that too. My sister had cancer and she was in hospital for, you know, a long period at the end and all she ever wanted to do, and, and she did it as many times as she could, was just go outside and sit in the sun. And she expressed the same thing. She said, you just don't know what it feels like when you, you know, when you can't have it anytime you choose. It's just, yeah, it's yeah. Ama amazing, is it? And you, um, you say 13 surgeries are you still going through surgeries or have they yes I am I'm oh. actually speaking with my surgeon uh tomorrow to find out what's going on with my right hip so both hips will probably have to be replaced eventually the right hip's a lot worse than the left hip the right hip had almost two dozen fractures in the ball and oh. the actual socket of the hip so that is going to have to be replaced probably sooner rather than later, um, possibly even this year. And then the left hip, I should be able to maybe get five to six years out of it. Wow. I don't think we can, yeah, most people, unless you've been in a really traumatic accident, most people can't imagine 13 surgeries, you know, yeah. or now 14 and well, 15, you know, like you, you yeah. who knows what you'll end up with. That's, that's amazing. And when you were in, when you had the first accident was nine hours in surgery. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's a lot of anesthetic. <laughs> you must've been sick. I can tell you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I was sick. I was very, yeah, I was very, very ill at that, that stage. And it was pretty traumatic, not only for me, but for the people around me, there was so much uncertainty as mm. well. Wow. And was it the same surgeon for nine hours or did they do a bit of a tag team? No, same surgeon, same surgeon for nine hours. So wow. you've got to respect his Absolutely. His abilities to kind of sit there. We get exhausted looking at a computer screen for nine hours a day. Yeah. Can you imagine doing something like put, putting someone's pelvis back together with nuts and bolts and removing bone and doing all those kind of things? So they're incredible, the surgeons. And there's no kind of like, whoops, I accidentally closed that, you know. <laughs> oh, no, oh, wrong tab. Yeah. Wow. No, we don't appreciate that, do we? Well, this is why we pay lots of money. I was just listening to a podcast on this this morning. You know, this is why we pay lots of money for specialists, you know, because by gee, you, you, you don't want a GP banging your hips back together, do you? No, no. no. And to the point I've had both of my SI joints, which are the joints at the back of your pelvis, uh, fused and fusing pelvises are is, is a very specialized thing so I travel all the way up to Sydney I'm Melbourne based and I travel all the way up to Sydney to have those operations done by Professor Ian Woodgate because he is the guy in Australia who fuses pelvises that's what his specialty is so yeah sometimes you do have to travel near and far just to make sure that you've got the best possible surgeon doing the job.
Yeah. And I've, you've heard a lot of stories about people traveling over to the States, you know, to, to just to have a special surgeon for particularly cancers and stuff like that. Yeah. But wow, I can't, I can't even imagine it. And, you know, I'm just, I'm, you're such a beautiful human. You're like, there could have been, you know, you could have, you could have come out of this really bitter, do you, you know, you could have become a hermit. You could have sort of said, that's it. You know, poor me. I'm not I'm not doing anything else again. But you didn't. You, you know, you got through it. I want to talk about your CPA and stuff in a minute. I just want to ask you one thing. When you and I want, don't want you to underplay this, and we we're talking about this before. You weren't just, um, you know, riding your riding your little horse, you know, for some little event. Like you were actually training for the World Equestrian Games. Like, yes, <laughs> that you know that's that's incredible. That's that's really massive. Yeah. So on my older horse, uh, we were riding at an international level called Pre St George, and we were just about to go up to the next level called Inter Inter One. So in dressage, the highest level is Grand Prix, is what you see at the Olympics. So both Riley and I, my older horse was well on track to get to Grand Prix in about 12 months time. And my younger horse, she was coming along really well to go to the World Equestrian Games in the younger horse classes. And then my goal was to build her up and become a Grand Prix dressage horse and compete on the international stage in dressage with her as well. Wow. So that's no mean feat. So what, do you, can you still ride or, or you can't now? I haven't had a chance to get back on a horse yet. Uh, mm. Physically, I could still ride. But with 13 operations, my life mm. in the last three and a half years has literally been surgery, recover, surgery, recover, surgery, recover. So I haven't had time to even think about getting back on a horse, let alone mm. actually getting out there, finding the right horse to get on. If I ever get back on a horse, I'll be very careful of the personality type of the horse that I get on, you know, mm. the age, the education. It will be a very risk mitigated horse riding <laughs> session. <laughs> but you would love to, wouldn't you? You would love to. Of course, to. it's in your blood. Yeah. You know, when you're a horse, once you're a horse girl, you're a horse girl. Um, I love it. I miss it. Dressage is such an incredible thing. It's like ballet with your horse to have that connection with such a powerful animal and to be able to move them around the dressage arena and dance with them is just, it's, it's an experience that nothing else can replace. Wow. And I, I get what you say about it being in your blood. You know, I'm a, I'm a singer, you know, I'm a muser and, and I, you know, many people listening to this know already I had my thyroid out, you know, like four years ago. I can't sing anymore. I can do one song a day before my voice cracks up and, and letting go of that thing, you know, that you, that's in your blood is actually, it's actually a hard thing. Do you, you know, I, I thought I got to a point, I said, ah, oh, doesn't matter. I can't sing again, but I have noticed a buildup of, of, of frustration, you know, since since that time. And I don't think we appreciate how much when that thing's in your blood, it, you, you know, you've got to find some way of satisfying that. You really do. You do. And you've got to go through the grieving process of losing, losing your passion, losing your love. And I went through that in a very dark, dark phase in life and um, quite depressed and really, really struggled. And then slowly... I've replaced one all-consuming passion because the horse riding, when you've got two horses, you're riding both of them five days a week, you're going to the gym to be fit to then ride the horses is a very consuming passion. 
So now that that passion's gone, it's kind of almost like if you think about, um, you know, a pottery being smashed and now mm. I've put it back to pieces, all the different pieces back into another beautiful vase or something, but built up of a whole bunch of different passions. So my passion for walking the dog, for riding my bike, for going swimming, for empowering other people to see their remarkable potential inside them, for doing a whole bunch of other things, reconnecting more with my creative side and starting to do more writing and blogging and all those things. So slowly I felt, filled that void with a whole bunch of different other things in life that I enjoy and connected with other elements of my personality that I probably was not connecting with when I had that passion. And that's mm. how I kind of rebuilt myself from a very dark place from losing my horses you have made me really think about that you know not you've made me realize I didn't grieve and I've just tried to fill the void but I haven't taken the time to grieve it and now you've, you've you've explained it like a pottery vase I've got work to do you've just you've you've given me you give me a job damn it I've got, I've got more work to oh, do. there you go there you've got your homework now you've got yeah. your homework but it is it's very important to grieve when you lose something that you love whether it's a skill or a person or a pet or a, a job you have to go through that grieving process and allow yourself to feel those feelings yeah well, I do with that with with living things. I just haven't done it with that, and I, I'm I'm going to do it. You've given me a kick in the butt, so now now I just I don't want to um dwell on the all oh, the hospital horrible stuff, but I do I want to do I want to talk about your achievements, which are, yes. are, are mind blowing. But I just want to ask one last question on that. You believed that you would never walk again. Do you, you know, like that was that was they told you that. And then that you, there came a time in the hospital where you stood, like you, you, you worked towards this and you stood on your own for three seconds and you describe it that I felt, you know, uh, the, the pain, the anger, the, the grief, the, the, you, you were just over, just explain that moment and how it felt and then your achievements. Yeah, sure. <laughs> So coming up to that moment, we'd been practicing in the pool a lot with water kind of up to here and, and therapists helping me and holding my legs down and all that kind of stuff. So when it came to standing on land, uh, I was very, very anxious. So I remember wheeling into the therapy room and wheeling my wheelchair up to the bars. And I think I already had doubt in my mind. I was like, you can't do this. That, that, that imposter syndrome, that critic was already hammering at me before I even started. Anyway, so we got through it. The therapists really talked, talked me into it, talked me up. They helped me as well. Like they pulled me out of my wheelchair and they held me up and everything like that. But when I stood up, first of all, the, the room was spinning. I felt so nauseous because I've been sitting for so long and I'm five foot 10, so I'm quite tall. So it's a big change as well. So I almost had a bit of a vertigo. The pain was just nauseating as well. Like the amount of pain, it took my breath away. I've got photos of it and you can see me just screaming in pain. I, um, everyone, I get emotional now just talking about it. My little sister took a video off it and you can just see how horrifically painful it is. And then my right leg gives up and falls underneath me and I come crashing back down into my wheelchair. And I just cracked. That was my lowest moment. I wheeled myself back to the hospital room. I had tears pouring down my face it as I fell like my hope just fell as well I was just devastated
devastated. I was like, they were right. I'm never going to walk again. I'm never going to run. I'm never going to be an active person again. This is, this is now my life. And I was slipping into, yeah, very, very dark negative thoughts that inner critic was like, see, they're right. I told you, you shouldn't even yep. tried, blah, blah, blah. Was really, really beating up on myself. And then in the midst of it, I actually remembered this cartoon on my family's fridge growing up, which is the pelican with the frog in the mouth and the frog strangling the pelican. And <laughs> never give up underneath it. I sat there and thought, right, hey, see, if that feisty little frog is not going to give up, you can't give up either. And what would you do? I've got, you know, my corporate and commercial background I'm like what would you do at work if you had such a big problem such a massive problem you develop a strategy you would analyze the root cause of what's causing these problems and then you'll analyze a strategy so one of the root cause of that was my lack of understanding of pain so I really started to educate how does pain work how does the brain and the body and what's the relationship with pain and I started to become the master of my pain and not let the pain be the master of me wow. and turn that fear of pain into courage of success. So mm. really changed that mindset um, and then started building different strategies to get myself back on my feet again. Wow. And see, so that's uh, right in the moment crossroads, isn't it? You know, it, it's like I choose this or I choose that. And wow, it, it could have been... Well, see, now when we put these things on our fridge, we kind of just think they're funny little things, don't we? But that, that stupid little picture, it turned out to be, you know, the, a catalyst for your, your courage and strength and resilience. And that's amazing. So whoever drew that picture, see, they probably saved a life. That, they did. They did. And it's amazing that subconscious connection of an image and, um, that subconscious resilience growing up as a kid going getting milk out of the fridge every day I looked yep. at this thing which you're right my dad thought it was funny so he put it up on the fridge because it was a <laughs> funny little cartoon but that subconsciously really built up this massive resilience that came to life in that moment where I was at my absolute rock bottom wow that's amazing. That's amazing. And then uh, now your achievements I, I still can't imagine <laughs> it and I just think that you know, I, I, if it was me that did that standing and then collapsed, I'd probably, you know, I, I'd probably be grumpier than you. I probably would have been a bit more bitter. But, you know, kudos to you because what a what an amazing job. But you, um, you, so how did you teach yourself to walk again? Like, So I developed what I call courage goals and superstar goals. So basically I took the big picture and big goal of wanting to walk again and work backwards, all the different milestones I had to achieve. So walking unassisted was walking assisted, you know, standing unassisted yeah. starts with standing assisted and tons of little milestones in between then. And I built up my courage goals and my superstar goals. So courage goals was something I could do every single day without too much fear, without too much discomfort, but still was a push. So standing for maybe 10 yeah. seconds assisted. Then my superstar goals was something that I really had to mentally, emotionally and physically prepare for. And I could only do once or twice a week. And I set my goals that we do that on Mondays and Fridays or Tuesdays and Thursdays. And that's the day that we do it. Then when I could comfortably do that and start doing that two or three times a week, they turned into my courage goals and I developed new superstar goals 
along the way of that bigger picture, that path with all the milestones that I developed. But I made sure that I didn't look at the whole picture and overwhelm myself. I only looked at the two steps that were in front of me. I really lent in to just conquering those two steps. When I did, I would celebrate my wins. If it was an extra step on the walking bar, if I did 11 instead of 10, I'd be like, whoop, 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 whoop in the hospital, <laughs> hospital room. I'd be so excited when I was learning to do stairs. If I did three stairs instead of two stairs, yeah, I had a big party, a big celebration about it all. And that was really motivating for me to really acknowledge each small achievement. And it was small. It's literally a single step or another five seconds or all those kind of things or standing unassisted for a few seconds. And that was the key part, the, that, that step strategy, yep. but the celebration and recognising when you've made an achievement. Yeah, I think that's a really important thing, isn't it? And every success builds on the next success. They feed each other until you you till you get that big thing that was yeah. overwhelming in the first place. Yeah. And also understanding that success is not linear. It's non-linear. So some days when I woke up, I had to define what success was for that day. And if I was really sore in my body because I had a big session, if I wasn't that great in my emotional space and I was struggling and processing some of the emotional trauma I didn't set big audacious goals if that was a superstar goal day I'd say okay let's move that goal to tomorrow because today it's just not going to happen so I didn't set myself up to disappoint myself either I was really realistic and really self-aware of where I was at across my mental emotional and physical health as well you were in there for six months right that's all that's a long time to stare at walls and it's a long time to think about superstar goals and everything else but one of your, you, you know, not being happy enough with, um, you know, I'm going to set little goals and I'm going to make them superstar goals and I'm going to walk. You actually did your CPA in, <laughs> while you're in hospital. Like what? You had nothing better to do? Like <laughs> I know a lot of people are like, what are you doing? Why are you cra- you're crazy? But it was actually a really fundamental part of my rehabilitation process because there was so much uncertainty on my physical health. There was so much unknown and that was creating a bit of anxiety. By studying the CPA, I knew that each model I read and each section I went through the textbook, I was actually progressing in in life. I was progressing in, I guess, my mental life and I'd finished an exam or signed that off and I could see progression. I could see constant movement. And as a really guiding North Star, it was this one thing in my life that was stable. I didn't know if I had to have another operation or if tomorrow I was going to have issues with my stomach or bladder because I had nerve damage to my stomach and bladder. So for a long time, I was incontinent. Still, I struggled to actually feel if I need to go to the toilet. So I have to make sure I go X amount of hours and everything. So I still don't have great sensation in my bladder. But I always knew my textbooks were there. It was reliable. It was it was constant. It was something that I could trust. It was something that I could hold on to when my world was spinning as well. And even if I was going to end up in a wheelchair forever, I could still be a CPA in a wheelchair. It was something that I know I could have a successful life by doing it. And it was great because a lot of the strategies and corporate um education that I got from that actually really helped me in 
further developing my strategies to help myself get back on my feet, help myself walk again, help myself do a 100K bike ride. And now I've even started (laughs) running uh, all based off these corporate strategies that I've transferred into my personal life. Wow, it's amazing. And how old, like this is only three years ago. We're going to go into A. How old were you when, when this happened? So I was 29 when it happened and I had my 30th birthday in hospital. So that was, I have to say the Epworth team was incredible. They made such a special day for me and I wasn't really being able to stand at the time. I could stand in the pool, but not on land. A lot of my therapists that even had the day off came in to see me and bring me cakes and cookies and the catering staff made a special cake for me and everything. So the team made a really, really beautiful, special day for my, um, my 30th birthday and we did a family lunch uh, a few weeks after the actual date. And I was so determined to kind of stand up at that lunch. And with the help of my friends and, and my partner, I stood up for a few, few shaky seconds and had a few shaky second speech and sat back down. Um, so I was very, very proud that, yeah, around my 30th birthday, I managed to stand up for, for that for that few little seconds oh that's awesome but so at 29 you had already been in the corporate world for you know 10 years well you know something like that and um so did were you were you already an accountant or were you doing accounting or were you planning to become an accountant or you know did that shift your career my corporate world is a big zigzag so I left school and originally went into law wanting to be a corporate lawyer and then spent some time in the legal world in in Owen Dixon Chambers and in the barrister with the barristers and quickly worked out back in 2006 2007 it wasn't a great place for females mm. uh, it's getting slowly better now but back then I was like this is not an environment I want to work in this is not how I want to be treated as well so mm. then I transitioned into psychology management marketing at uni and I enjoyed that but I think because I went straight out of school into uni I academically burnt myself out Mm. so then I rebelled and I went and did a year of fashion design so I did a (laughs) diploma in fashion design I rebelled from the academic world and I loved that and it's great and it's taught me so much about colors and branding and everything like that Mm. Then after that, I had to sit down and think, oh, what do I actually enjoy? And that was helping people. I've always loved numbers and finance. So I did my qualifications to become a financial advisor. And again, worked in that industry for a while and worked out that my morals and values didn't align with the industry, with the Royal Commission coming out. That makes a lot of sense. And I'm sure a lot of people can... (laughs) can understand uh, probably the things that were not aligning with me personally in that industry. So then I left and came back to the family company and worked in kind of sales, uh, customer relations, and really worked in all different areas of the company, getting to know it, and went back to uni part-time to do a commerce degree majoring in accounting. And I finished that degree just before the accident, thank gosh. And I actually walked across the stage at Deakin uh, once I got discharged from hospital. I had to postpone my graduate certificate 
and I walked across the stage with my trusty little walker and <laughs> collected my certificate and put it on my walker and kept going across the stage in my trusty little walker. So that was a big driving goal in hospital was to walk across the stage and collect my Bachelor of Commerce. Yeah. Wow. And so um, it, the, the job you're doing now is with your, your, in your family business. So that's, is it Atherton Medical? Is it? Or Atherton? Yeah. So we manufacture ser- and service medical equipments, infection control and medical equipment, sterilizers, pan washers and all that stuff, which is great. You would have been run off your feet over the last 12 months. <laughs> yes. It's again, extremely lucky to be in the industry that we're in. Uh, which, which, yeah, we've been very, very lucky. We've had to change the way we do some things to comply with COVID regulations and everything. Mm. But we've been, we've been lucky that we've been able to keep everyone on at work. Yeah. And I feel very proud to be part of that network that supported mm. the healthcare industry through this pandemic. Yeah. Yeah, one of those industries that uh, just, well, we, we needed you, didn't we? There was uh, no, no choice, but no, and that's good. So you, you're planning on staying there for a while, doing your accounting there, or you have bigger plans? Uh, no, definitely. I'll always be involved in the family company forever and a day. I'm the fifth generation. The family company wow. is 130 years old. Wow. So there's a lot of history. There's a lot of love. There's a lot of emotion there. So yeah. I'd always be involved in, in some sense. But I'm also very keen in to keep doing my keynote speaking, doing my what I call courage coaching, helping people tap into that inner courage and reach mm. their full potential. Uh, getting into my creative side, starting to pull together some ebooks and everything that I want to put out there as well. Wow. And then my little side hustle, I've also set up a not-for-profit called Empowered Women in Trades to help females see a career within skilled trades as a viable option and to increase the representations of females because at the moment it's only 2% the female representation in skilled trades, which is a number I'm not happy with. No, not at all. You are the epitome of get off the bench, you know, and that's exactly why I wanted to you know have you on here because it's you know you know you you have this major catastrophe in your life and you could say well look I'm lucky to be alive um and I'll just go back to a job and you know and I'll sit there and just be thankful but you haven't done that you know you you've just launched well your your ebooks and your and I do want to talk about empowered women in trade separately in a minute because that's a massive that's massive what you're doing you know, so you did your CPA, you know, you're talking about ebooks, you're talking about all these other things. And as well, you know, with a crushed pelvis and everything else, you just talked about before. So tell us more about this, your 100k bike ride. Like, what the hell? You know, what is that about? <laughs> so my partner is a very, very keen bike rider. And I got into bike riding with him before the accident and absolutely loved it. And we would go do 150k rides, go have brunch, go have lunch, go have after, you know, just ride around the Mornington Peninsula eating and riding uh, towards the end of the day, having a few sneaky drinks as well, which is always <laughs> good fun. Uh, so I was very, very keen to get back on the bike. And I think for me, a big milestone was to do the 100k. Again, I couldn't have done it without my partner. When I was struggling towards the end, he literally helped push me up the hills and we we hopped along. It took a long time to do the 100K. But I think for me, it was that real mental challenge to 
to to to just prove to myself I'd overcome the adversity the adversity of my physical mental and emotional self as well and that real inner critic saying no you can't do this you can't walk you can't run you can't ride you can't 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 that was so loud in my head in hospital I was so determined to say do you know what I'm going to put you back in your place I'm going to do a 100k (laughs) ride And there's nothing you can say about that because that's going to be factual evidence. It's on Strava. It's there. And you have nothing that you can say because when you do, I can look at that ride and say, well, I did it. So you need to shh yourself (laughs) because I actually had the factual evidence that I could do it. And that's how I've managed to kind of quieten that, that critic inside my head is by actually going and getting factual evidence that I can show myself. Yeah, I do that too with, I've got an imposter syndrome folder. It's actually called my promotions folder. And every time I do something, you know, like I do a workshop for, you know, somewhere across the world, you know, on Zoom or whatever, I take a a screenshot of it. Um, You know, whenever I do a talk, whenever I do anything, any any achievement, I put it, well, big achievement. I'm not not just tying up my shoes and have a dose for breaking, but, you know, (laughs) but um, I put it in my folder. And whenever that voice says to me, you know you maybe you're not I say bugger it and I get out that folder you know and I look through it and say no you can do it and that's exactly what you're saying it's that it's that evidence there that you can't you just can't argue with it it's a really good tip for people you know put your evidence somewhere where you can actually see it now it wasn't just a you've done 200k bike rides right and you're currently training. I've got to read this because I'll get it wrong. I don't even know where I wrote it. But you've got two monumental events. Tell us about those. I can't remember. There was a- So I'm training towards the end of the year for the Amy Gillett um, uh, Grand whatever it's called. Yeah, so I can't remember either. I can't remember. It's the Amy Gillett. We, as bike riders, we just call it the Amy's, but it's the Amy Gillett uh, Grand Fondo or something. It's a 120k ride down at Lawn. So yeah. the first part of the ride is about a 12k climb up a very steep hill, oh. and then you ride all the way down Great Ocean Road. They close off Great Ocean Road, and it's a fantastic uh, ride. My partner's done it quite a few times. He does it in the racing section, but we're just going to enter in the social section and. He'll ride with me and we're getting a little bit of a team because I'm nervous riding in groups and everything. So this is when I go back to, you've got to have strategies in place to achieve your goal. So I'm going to do this ride, but we're going to have a team around me, some a bike in front of me that I trust their wheel so I can just stick on their wheel. Simon's going to ride on the outside of me to keep other bikes away from me. He's very good at handling his bike. He's also a very solid person. So if someone bumps into him, he'll be able to bump them away. And then a person I trust behind me, so no bike rides into my back wheel or does anything like that. Um, and then another person that's going to ride and get drink bottles and food and do all that kind of stuff. So even though that sounds like, <laughs> oh my God, this isn't like a, a, a team that supports an Olympic rider. This is just because this is for me a massive goal to do this very, very difficult bike ride, mm. but yeah. I can't do it without my support tribe. And I know the strategy. I know the environment that I need to thrive in. So I'm setting that up. And that's what people just have to do. Like you can't, you wow. can't climb Everest on your own. You, um, if I've got something big to plan for, you're going to be my number one girl. I can tell you what, you're amazing. Uh, 
I'll help you. I'll help you find the strategy to achieve whatever dream you want. Don't worry about that. <laughs> you are incredible. You're incredible. And the other one involves um, oh, what is it? Uh, uh, sprint, uh, yeah. 750. So it's a sprint distance triathlon because yeah. I don't think my uh, my pelvis will let me run the 10k that you got to do for a normal triathlon. Yeah. So it's a 750 meter swim, a 20k bike ride, and a 5k run. So that's what I'm training for at the moment. Uh, I'd love to maybe once my hip gets replaced, I might be able to do the proper triathlon. But with the hip in the current state it is, because to the point the other day I was walking around the kitchen and my partner's like, God, our floorboards are creaky. And I said, no, darling, that's my hip. Clicking and cracking and popping and making so much noise. Yuck. (laughs) Oh, 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 oh my God. That would be... (laughs) wow really i don't think that hip's gonna do 10k no no but the fact that you're even doing what you're doing like and when i say oh you're even i'm not minimizing because i couldn't do that like there's no i mean maybe i could if i practiced you know and i started to to work towards it but you know what you're doing with um all those challenges and all the smashed pelvis and everything else is is stuff that a person without those challenges wouldn't even yeah. attempt. Like it's it's incredible. I, I just have so much admiration for you. I, I really you. Uh, uh, you you're just a you're a boomer. I loved you the minute I met you. I tell you, you just got this energy that is just bam, you know, and it, it's but it's soft and sweet at the same time. You're just <laughs> you're just a you're a, you're a gem. You really are. Now tell us about um empowered women in trade. But you love this, and that's yeah. how we that's how we met through that. That's so tell how we us, met. Yeah. So as I said before, it's the, the purpose behind it is to encourage females to see a career in skilled trades as a viable option. So getting more women on the tools out there as plumbers and glaziers and bricklayers and all those kind of things. Mm. And my real motivation for this is when I was in hospital, having an option taken off the table of having an active life, of walking again, it was so devastating to feel that there was an option out there that I couldn't have anymore. Mm. And knowing that there's women here in Australia that feel that this career path, which is a very, very fantastic career path financially, people have great, um, a lot of tradie women that have gone into it have said it's actually been really good for their mental health. They love building something and creating something. So there's so many positives in going into these career paths. But a lot of women feel the doors are closed to them. They're not offered it at schools. They don't know how to transition into that and get an apprenticeship. And I just, that knowing that and connecting that feeling with me not being able to have options on the table for me, I just felt so devastated that that's happening out there for other women. And I just was really motivated that I had to do something about it, working in manufacturing, a male-dominated environment, and having a factory that if we could get a female fitter and turner an electrician we would employ her in a heartbeat so there's employers out there that do want these women and we actually had a female welder for a little while from New Zealand and she really enjoyed working in our factory so she said her history hasn't had great places she has worked in places where she's experienced harassment and bullying and that's just not tolerated we need to get rid of that out of the the working environment And it was nice that she felt safe in our environment. 
So I really wanted to change the culture out there and have more environments where women feel confident and safe to work in construction, manufacturing, mining based things and let women know that these options are on the table. They just got to get out there and take it. So were you thinking about this when you were in hospital and thinking that when I get out, you know, one day I'm going to do this, create something? to empower women or were you or did yeah, it come afterwards? Yeah, it was definitely on my mind. And the reason was when the accident happened, I was going through, I guess, my apprenticeship in the factory. My family's very big about learning all aspects of the company. So when the ha- accident happened, I was actually working in the factory welding and I love welding. Um, I've done <laughs> polishing and done all these other things. So I was spending my time in the factory and having the best time ever it was way better than spreadsheets and computer programs and sitting in front of a computer and then I think connecting with that positive experience that I had and having so much fun I didn't even feel like I was going to work it was great and then that loss and that feeling of opportunities being taken away I thought oh wow that's really heartbreaking that women aren't having the opportunity to experience what I was very privileged to be able to experience in my factory so that really started planting the seed and it all started ticking away in the back of my mind back there in hospital. And did you know what it would look like back then? No. No. Originally, what I thought it would look like is maybe just a little work experience program at our factory, get the local girls at the local high school to come down to our factory and have a work experience week in year 10 and see if they... um, see if they enjoy it and all that kind of stuff. And it just grew from that concept, really. It just got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and turned into something um, that's really important and realising that it's not just school kids. A lot of the tradie women had transitioned in their mid to late 20s out of retail or hospitality or other careers into skilled trades. And then especially with unemployment rising from COVID for females, a big push is to try and get these unemployed females into skilled trades because there's also a skill shortage in skilled trades. Mm. A lot of these skilled trades are crying out for bodies to come Mm. in um, to their positions. So I thought, wow, this is the time. This is the time to align the changing in the economy with different things events moving online the events industry might not employ as many people but the construction manufacturing mining industry still need more people than they can employ right now yeah so what are you what are your plans like you've only just you've only just launched it you know it's only a few few months old really you know and you started to so are you are you you, your plan is more in um, policies or advocating or actually uh, providing job connections or which sort of uh, direction do you think it'll go in? Yeah, so we want to start off with kind of like this pledge concept to get awareness out there, to get employers coming to the table saying that they they agree to have supportive environments for females to thrive in that they agree to provide opportunities for females to try out the trades and do all of that kind of stuff because I think first of all women need to see that there's employers there that will support them that will allow them to thrive that they feel safe in that space that there's trade schools out there that they're not going to get teased or bullied at 
or all those kind of things, that there's opportunities to learn tool handling skills and do all those kind of things. So we want to start this kind of pledge program, which will encourage employers to get noisy about them being supportive of women. And then the women will come and then down the track, then start setting up programs of once we've got the women aware and educated of what a career in this is like how can we transition those women that are interested into actual apprenticeships and into actual jobs but the first piece is that real awareness piece and getting women to feel safe confident and comfortable with even entertaining the idea oh i absolutely love it i missed my i would have loved to be a mechanic i used to just be a mechanic but i wasn't paid they used to pull motorbikes apart and put them back together again and fix them i remember when i was um 18 i got my first little corolla and mum came i had in the in the um driveway and mum came out and i had the the entire engine pulled apart all laid out (laughs) under the carport and mum came out and she said what the hell are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm figuring it out how it works. Oh, yeah. by geez, you better get that bloody thing back together again. <laughs> and I did, you know, but it's um back when I was young, because I'm 57, you know, when I was in my 20s, that, that wasn't the case. There weren't female, well, I was a female mechanic in my own lunchbox, but, you know, you yeah. know we, we, um, you know, there just wasn't, you just didn't see them so and I agree that I think that they're um women pay more attention now I'm not being sexist you know I'm not criticizing the men but there but there are a lot of reasons women would be better tradies in a lot of areas you, you know they're more nimble with their hands they can get into little smaller little places they they take more care generally it's just, speaking it's just that um that argument of gender balance. So by bringing women, more women into this, into this space, you're going to bring the benefits that they bring with customer service, for example, that they're going to be able to connect with your female customer base. Yeah. Um, females that have experienced, say, domestic violence or something may not feel comfortable with a male plumber in his house. So having a female on your staff allows you to still provide a service to that female but put a female plumber in her house also by bringing diversity you're going to bring innovation because yes women are going to think of doing things differently we're built Mm. differently to men so we're naturally going to do things differently to men which then will bring innovation and growth into the space as well Mm. Um, and we can teach different things to men about being more of that emotional empathetic side and also so the men and the males can teach us a lot about being um, a little bit more resilient sometimes. Men are quite good at putting their heads down and just focusing on the job. Yeah. Sometimes we do get a little bit wrapped up in our emotions and that's something I teach people a lot. It's so important to feel your emotions but have a trigger to move on. So for me, yeah. when I feel that I need to be in an emotional space, I put an alarm on for 45 minutes, half an hour, whatever. I go sit in the shower and cry or listen to sad music or do what I want to do. But as soon as that alarm goes off, I move out of that space. I go do something, take the dogs for a walk or something like that. And that's something that I've learned from more of the males in my life and watching them actually transitioning and going no now it's time to focus on this or now it's time to focus on that and putting something aside so that that tactic is something that I learned from the males in my life Mm, that's a really good tactic I've um, been a teacher for many years and and as I said a muso for many years and so 
I, I've had that luxury for a long time since I've been 15 is that when you step on stage, it doesn't matter what you've got going on, do you, you know, so that you've, you, you, you can, you can shut off and shut, bring it back in, you know, and, and there's, that's a skill. That's a really solid skill to be able to do those, to shut it down and bring it back on again. And so I think it's, um, you're a bloody amazing. You've got a bloody tactic for everything. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Well, as I said earlier, I've learned how to live through adversity, not just survive it. And to do that, I've had to build up a really diverse toolkit yeah. of how to make sure that I'm actually living my life, loving my life, whether that's I'm in a wheelchair, in a wet adult nappy, or whether that's I'm out on the town in my high heels. I always wanted to make sure that I had a smile on my face and loving life. And to do that, you've got to have quite a few mental tools in your toolbox. You do. And a bloody big heart. <laughs> <laughs> my gee, you, you're amazing. You, you, and, and like I said, the epitome of get off the bench. By God, you know, you, you, yeah, I think there's a lot of us that can learn a lot of tools from you. You're just amazing. Now, oh, I have loved this. You, you've had me on the edge of my seat the whole time, you know, thinking, oh my God, I don't know if I could do that. And, you know, I just, geez, that's, that's a tough gig. But now this podcast, as you know, is about inspiring people to get off the bench and do, do the thing they love or take action or whatever. Relative to your situation, you know, um, actually believing they can you know, you know, and like, you're the epitome of that, you know, you really, I've been saying epitome lately, and I keep saying epitome, I think, <laughs> no, I think, I don't know, too many gins or something, I'm not sure, <laughs> but anyway, but you really are, you are the epitome of just saying I can, so what, what, what advice would you give to somebody in, let's say, somebody in a crappy situation, um, that might be believing that their dreams are out of reach, or no longer attainable, what advice yeah. would you give them to, shift that and get going yeah so for going back to what I said about that big ambitious audacious dream definitely have that big audacious you know big ambitious dream of whatever it is to get out of your situation but then work backwards work backwards and work out the hundred the thousand the ten the five the two how many steps do you have to do to actually reach that and make sure those steps aren't overwhelming steps. So don't go, I'm sitting on the couch and I want to go run a marathon. And then you go do a 1K run and go, oh, I'm never going to do a marathon. Yeah. So actually break it down into all the little steps that are challenging, but not overwhelming. Focus on those steps that are in front of you. Do it one step at a time. Chip away at all those goals. But it's so important that you build up your support tribe. So many, many times I've fallen down and I felt that I couldn't get myself back up physically, mentally and emotionally. And you've got to be able to be vulnerable and say, hey, this is my goal. This is where I want to achieve. Surround yourself with people that support that goal, support you, even if they think quietly in their head, oh, God, she's never going to be able to do, <laughs> do that. They're still there to back you to just go out there and have a go at doing it. Yeah. And allow yourself to be vulnerable vulnerability is such a strength yeah. so when you stumble and you're not quite getting to that step in front of you reach out to that support tribe say hey i'm struggling i do it with my partner when i'm running like i want to do my 5k runs when it's really hard work i say to him can you come for a run with me because just him running next to me really helps me push through it 
you know, and it makes me feel safe because if I do fall down or my hip does give up, he can go get the car and come get me or do something like that. So construct an environment that you feel safe in, that you feel supported in, that you can be vulnerable in. But the most important thing is really take that goal, break it into how many steps it needs to be broken into, stay committed to achieving those goals, but really flexible in the approach. If your first try didn't work out, learn from that failure and, and go again and just keep keep swinging the bat until you hit that ball and achieve that goal and then move on to the next one. Good advice. And you're absolute, you're, you are absolute proof that um, that works. And if you can get through what you got through, uh, people can, uh, you know, get, get to, they might not get to one big massive goal, but they're going to achieve goals um, more than they actually think they can. Exactly. And when you achieve that goal, as we said before, celebrate it, recognize it, register it, register your achievements. Mm. And then that will help you achieve the next one. But so many people go, oh, I haven't achieved anything. And then when you start actually asking them questions, you work out that they have achieved so many different things. They're working in an environment that they don't like, or they have an unhappy home environment and they still rock up to work every day. That in itself is a massive achievement. Or they might have a parent that's dying of cancer and they still go to work or they go see their parent every day while raising three kids and being a supportive wife. That's an incredible achievement. Yeah. It doesn't have to be jumping out an aeroplane or teaching yourself to walk again. You just need to really sit down and look around. Every day people are achieving things and they ignore them. Yeah. Good you've got a good attitude. <laughs> yeah, you really have. Oh, I love it so much. Well, I just, I love it. I'm sure there's going to be so many people listening to this wanting to follow your journey and, you know, uh, see not going to be counting off your um surgeries i think we could give that a miss because that's just crappy but you know watching you know seeing if you do the next run and all that and i just think it's great and to see where um women in empowered women in trades goes as well because um that's so that's such an important thing now where can people find you so I've got my website, which is hasierathedon.com. So H-A-C-I-A-A-T-H-E-R-T-O-N. That's also the handle for my LinkedIn page and my Instagram page as well. So Instagram's probably a bit more personal. That's where I put up some more about my struggles of my runs and things. Uh, LinkedIn's where I more talk about vulnerable leadership and have a bit more of professional space. So follow both, follow one, follow the other. Um, Connect with me, message me. I'm happy to speak to anyone and help them any way I can. And sometimes it's just having someone in the corner saying that, yeah, you can do this and I believe in you. Yep. You're a gem. You're amazing. I'm going to put all those uh, links in the show notes anyway, so people can click on them and find you. And I hope people do connect with you because uh, I, since me, since me meeting you, I've had nothing but um, nothing but good to say about you. You just, uh, just a uh, no. You're amazing. And and the, it, you know, we 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 forget that there are so many great people out there in the world that. Uh, really do want to connect and really do want to support and build tribes and you know uh, are there to catch each other's backs and you, you're just one of those amazing human beings and I feel so blessed to have you in my life and in my circle so 
Oh, thank you. I feel blessed to be there. And, and as I said, you know, moments when you need my strength, I'll be able to give it. And there'll be moments where I'll need your strength. And that's the beauty of making these connections and, yes. and this, this tribe. Like one day you can be strong for someone else and some days someone else has to be strong for me. Yeah. Yeah, spot on. Oh, you're a gem. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I've absolutely loved this. I loved it. And I, I know that everyone else will be loving listening to it. And um, I just so appreciate your time. So I really do. Thank you. I appreciate you having me here and letting me share my journey and my thoughts and my kind of sometimes out of the box quirky ideas of so they're bloody fantastic how to tackle life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely a unique quirky character. I um I embrace that, but I am who I am and I hope that by doing this I can help other people see their remarkable potential inside them. I'm sure you'll be, I'm sure people will have a lot to think about after this. I'm positive. Oh, you're brilliant. All right. Well, thank you so much. And I'm going to catch up with you very soon again, but um, uh, take care until then. And just thank you so much. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> My pleasure. Thank you. See ya. See ya. Oh, guys, how was that? Like, I don't even know what to say. We, we whinge and bitch and piss and moan about stuff all the time. You know, oh, this is too hard. That's too hard. Wow. Like imagine having a, a 600 kilo or half a ton, whatever, you know, big animal like that come crashing into your lap and the, the, the fear and the uncertainty and I don't know what's going to happen with my life. And then having to, you know, go through the grief, as Hacia said, but then figure out a strategy to move forward. If she can figure out that strategy to move forward when she's in such a bad situation, why can't we figure it out? when we're not in such a bad situation. I think we've got to get better at being grateful for where we're at and appreciate what we've got around us. Uh, get support people in place, as Hacia said, and start working through some strategies. And, you know, I'm not saying, oh, you know, go build a whole, uh, you know, not-for-profit and, you know, build some great thing, but there must be something that you want to do. So I reckon just... It, take her courage, you know, take some of those lessons that she's given and, and just go for it. And uh, I, I just love it. And I absolutely love you guys uh, for hanging around and listening to all these uh, incredible people that I keep getting on the podcast. And they're just people from anywhere, from any walks of life, but they've just they've done something, you know, that is just digging deep. And, and we've all got that well that we can dig into. So thanks, guys, for hanging around. Thanks for all your support all the time. And I'm, I'm going to bang on if I don't shut myself up. So that's it. Um, be awesome. Be like Hacia. You know, get some courage and just get off the bench. Anyway, I'm going to catch you next week. See ya. Hey, thanks for joining me. It really does mean the world to me. Now, if you or somebody you know is doing amazing things, make sure you send me an email to info at getoffthebench.com.au. That's info at getoffthebench.com.au. Otherwise, head on over to my website at kerenvaughan.com and tinker around there a bit and send me a message. Okay, catch you next week.